these books in the last two years? Uh, no, what what has happened? Uh, the story of this. Rob came to me one day as a. Oh yeah, we can just, we can just start now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question, Dean, uh, Rob came to me one day and he said, uh, "You're continually away. I never see you. Mm. Don't know what you do. You're here for a week or two, and you're gone for a month or two. Right. Can you write something down that would tell me who you are?" Right. And what you do, and I thought that was kind of a strange question for my son, but I went down to the computer in what I termed the dungeon, and uh, one or two pages that I envisioned turned out to be a 370-page novel. Well, would you and look at that? I haven't published it yet, uh, entitled Bad Boy, which in no way reflects what I am. Uh, and uh, the bug bit me because in every individual there's a story. It's just getting motivated enough to want to tell that story and not be afraid to put it down in words. So uh, from one novel, I wrote 11 or 12 fictional novels mm -hmm. uh, based on uh, experiences I've had. I was uh, a vice president international for a uh, $20 billion company. I was their point man in various countries from Pakistan to India to Vietnam, Cambodia, and uh, I lived in Korea for about four and a half years. I'm a linguist. I speak uh, several languages. Um, what languages are those? Uh, Spanish is one, and Korean okay. through residence there. I'm okay with French and German. Okay. Um, it's taken me to a number of interesting places and situations, and I told Rob, as a circus collects animals, I've collected people. Mm. And I've used those people, my experiences, and the places I've been in formulating books, such as the one there, right. Kill Alexis Markovic. And I wrote all these books uh, for the fun of it. Uh, had them bound at a uh, uh, stationery store, circulated among my friends. They were very complimentary, as friends <laughs> would be. They don't say things negatively. They enjoyed the books, and I, I retired them to a cardboard box up in my, uh, my office upstairs in my home, and that's where they sat for about 10, 12 years. Then the pandemic came. Rob said to me, Dad, you remember those books you wrote? Mm, sure, yeah, I do. He says, now's the time to get one or two published. I said, Rob, I don't really have the all with where to know how to do right. that. He says, I'll take care of it. Being the innovative son that he is, uh, he said, pick one. We did. He got it published. He said, we're going to do it through Amazon, which lets me control the content, mm -hmm. how we set it up, the cover design. One thing led to another, and we will shortly uh, put out our eighth novel uh, called Requiem for a Soldier, which is about the Vietnam War. I think it's a timely book. People have now talked about uh, Vietnam because the number of uh, the high number of uh, former military men that are committing suicide and women. Mm -hmm. So I think a timely book, and it's been fun to see words that were stored upstairs between my ears uh, into a printed form where it can bring people some uh, momentary uh, uh, transition from their normal lives into a world of fantasy which uh, involves interesting people, interesting situations, a fairly interesting storyline, and what I hope will be an interesting conclusion. Right. So that is it. Uh, I've put chapter and verse into almost every book from my military experiences to my civilian experiences to the strange and interesting people I've met and the varied countries uh, from South America, Far East, and Africa that I've traveled. And that's basically me, and I've reached the point now where uh, I'm having fun. I started another one, uh, and we'll see where that takes it. So it's never an ending process once you begin to write. All you have to do is uh, be willing to dedicate and believe that there is a point where you can reach and you can tell a compelling story, and uh, you have to just make the time available when you can sit down and start writing and do it mm -hmm. constantly every day, and the end result is a book. Right. You know, actually, Rob and I last time talked a lot about storytelling, too. So he's a bit of a different medium than you do, obviously. Yes. But um, he said something. He said, 
life is about storytelling. And I was thinking on in the car on the way here in my hour-long drive, uh, I was thinking, you know, everybody has a different medium for telling their story. It's all about, you know, what you want to do. So my, for example, is this. I like to record myself talking to interesting people who have a story to tell. Uh, Rob's has uh, talked about his in WWE and through G right. Fuel and through his various companies. Yours is writing books like kill Lexis Markovich exactly. <laughs> and um, exactly. Requiem for a Soldier which is coming out uh, when is that coming out by the way probably the end of July end of July yeah. okay so. um, yeah it's all about how you want to tell your story and as you said you take different you said you take different pieces of your life Correct. and use those as a muse type situation to they, write your books for example the characters I knew someone like this okay which happened to be in Brazil doesn't matter and you pointed uh, out the eye candy. Yes, I'll, very I'll show, definitely. I'll show the camera here. Definitely. And uh, uh, yes. I took it. I didn't want to make it into a uh, Brazilian woman, so I took it in the form of a Russian woman mm-hmm. and uh, took her to an adventure both from Russia, where she was an orphan, into the United States, where she was, quote, the enforcer okay. of a Russian crime syndicate who operated in the United States, and the story with the people that she interacted and the obligation she had uh, to the organization that created her. Uh, I like to write these kind of stories. I've met these kind of people in my military service. Um, I'm a retired uh, Army intelligence officer, cross-trained as an infantry officer, went to Airborne Ranger School, um, been to a number of places, met a number of people, had a number of interesting experiences, both from the military and from my civilian life. And uh, as I say, these instances and these people were stored away, never envisioning I would ever write a book. In every situation that we face in life, we need a motivation. Mine was my son, as I mentioned. Hey, Dad, why not tell me about your background? From that led to now eight novels with my Vietnam story and probably about three or four Uh, to go. One other interesting facet, uh, being away so much of my time over those 35 years, I didn't share in my two boys growing up uh, a smitten here and a smitten there, but I was away so much of the time I always had a guilt complex when I came home. On the airplanes when I would come back from Indonesia, for example, back to the United States, New York, Uh, The plane ride was long. I figured I needed something to bond with my boys. So I wrote some children's stories. Mm. And uh, when I would come home, I would read them. We would laugh. We would get back together again as a father and son. Uh, Rob also said, hey, Dad, you remember those stories you used to write for us? And I said, yeah. He said, let's do that as well. Let's get those children's stories Mm -hmm. published. So uh, with a children's story, you need illustrations. My wife had a friend, has a friend in South Carolina who's an artist. And we have now, we're working on a third children's book called um, Mr. Day and Mr. Night. We have two published, and the illustrations in this book are not hand drawings, as as you would see in most other children's books. They are each a painting on a canvas which is transported and put uh, on a page in that children's book, and it gives it a uniqueness. It looks more interesting. There are things a child can look at and see, both in the clothing, facial features, a detailed painting in each and every children's book. And every one of my children's books has a moral. I've written it so that when the story concludes, there's a moral to it. And you can think about this moral, and you can say, yeah, that makes sense to me. The story comes together. I like what I've read. I've liked where I should go with this. And uh, a child's mind is open. You can formulate it, give it ideas, and that's what I try to do. Uh, So it's a two-facet thing. I'm having fun with the children's book, having fun with the adult books. Mm -hmm. keeps me busy and active and... uh, you said you're retired, but is this kind of a full-time job? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. more so than... <laughs> I was going to say, this doesn't sound easy. Oh, the proofing, I think, is harder than the writing. It's oh, I'm very, not surprised. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. 
you have to let someone else read this book, a book. Um, they will see a word picture differently than you will. Okay. And if they say to you, it isn't clear, I know what I want to say. I think I've conveyed it. But if the right. reader can't receive it in the proper way, it needs to be changed. So proofing is an integral part of this uh, particular book. Taking critique is always hard because you always think you're right at first. Well, a writer knows what he wants to say, and he gets it down using his words, his terminology, his punctuation. But that doesn't mean that the reader's going to receive it in the same way he right. thinks it or sees it. So when you read it uh, by a proofreader, in this case my wife, Rob, uh, friend, uh, they come back with ideas that, look, it, it makes sense, but then you're leading into a place where you shouldn't go, mm -hmm. confuses a reader, and then you have to make an adjustment and a change. But right. the m most exciting part is when everybody agrees. It's okay now. Yeah. Let's go to yeah. publication. And you say, wow, now we're off to the next one. Right. Right. So there's a lot of things I want to tell. I've got stories upstairs. Uh, I've met some extremely interesting people over my lifetime. Some have been okay people. Some have not been okay people. Um, tell one story that I will find a way to get into one of my books. I haven't yet. Um, the company I worked for, we like to control a commodity that a country has. For example, in Bolivia, it was tin. Yep. In order to do that in the way we felt was best for our interest, we contributed heavily towards the presidential election okay. and those of other politicians in the country. Mm. We backed a particular individual in his party, and he lost. Okay. And the party who got elected then started to make us persona non grata to such an extent that our manager there is going to be arrested. Word filtered out, came down to me. Uh, we took him out in the trunk of a car okay. from Bolivia across the Andes, uh, the Andes Mountains into Chile, and from Chile we flew into Mexico City. Interesting experience. You would tell this to a individual, as I'm telling it to you now, mm -hmm. some will say, ah, no, no, never happened. It's figment of his imagination. The world's Just a like crazy book, place. I, I totally buy it. <laughs> these are the things that happen. Yeah. But as well, it was another instance where we uh, backed the uh, wrong entity, and we were banned there for two years. We couldn't do any oil. We couldn't do anything out of there. Mm -hmm. uh, these are things that happen. The international world of business is as uh, complicated and as uh, mysterious as the world of espionage or the world of the military. It's uh, completely uh, foreign in many respects, and when you relate how and when a thing happens, it's hard for the average person to understand it or believe that that was possible right. because in his world, his comfort zone, these things are not existent. They do not exist. Right. It's hard uh, for people to look past what they see in their own life. There you a go. Lot of the time, Absolutely a lot of correct. The time. Absolutely uh, correct. It's more believable now, uh, given James Bond movies. However, <laughs> it is cra it's crazy to think that that kind of stuff happens in real life, too. It's, um, uh, it's hard, I think, if a person uh, was hanging on the wing of an airplane and right. an uh, intelligence right. agency and was taken off, intelligence agent was taken off, Probably if he lived through it, he'd probably be fired from his job because yeah. you don't do that. Thing. Right. But for movie's sake, it's sent for books. You know, you stretch yeah. it a bit. It's easier to say it didn't happen. Than exactly. It is. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And also, movies like that, uh, going back to storytelling in the media, um, it's movies like that that make things that happen in real life look like, if it makes sense, less impressive. Because they blow it up so much. Oh, absolutely. Well, yep. they're there to entertain. Right. And what you want to do with that individual is entertain him to the point that he becomes that agent mm -hmm. or that girl or that uh, whatever. And uh, you you ride with that until the next scene takes place. Same thing with writing. Mm -hmm. You're building a character. Your first couple of pages, if you don't grab the reader, 
In most instances, they'll take the book and put it away. They're not interested. Right. You have to make the character presentation to such an extent and the event surrounding that character interesting enough where they'll move through that book. Yeah. Once they get caught up in the uh, additional characters and the storyline, then they carry through. But it's the first three or four pages, and if you don't, right. just like a movie. James Bond used to open up with a horrific scene on a glider mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. and he would parachute out of it or whatever. I don't know if you've and seen the new <laughs> Top Gun movie, <laughs> yeah. but like, and, or, and the original yeah. Top Gun movie. They yeah. start off with, you're on an aircraft carrier, everything's yeah. happening, it's crazy, right? Go. They need to hook you. Absolutely. And um, actually, I was talking to a friend last night. Um, I was talking to her dad, actually. Her dad has a sister who worked at a big publishing company in the UK in the early 2000s, right around the time Harry Potter was oh, becoming wow. a thing, or I guess it was the early 90s. Um, and she was an intern at this company, and she sees this book by an author named J.K. Rowling in a trash heap. So she picks it up and shows her boss. Her boss hates it because he said there's no hook. Because I don't know if you've read Have you read Harry Potter? No, I've not. It is a very slow start. It's a wow. very slow start. Um, and then she shows her boss. He's like, why would anyone read this? And then they eventually decided to publish it, and it became Harry Potter. That's a rare example yeah. <laughs> of starting off with, it starts off with, uh, you're in a suburb neighborhood. We're describing some, the uncle's job. So it, it's like, there's no magic. There's no, there's no hook. There's no catch. It's literally just a slow start. So that was one of those books you had to make it through. And fortunately, people made it through the first 50 pages and found out that it was a book about magic. Um, but that's a rare example of... You know, I I put it down the first time. I didn't like Harry Potter the first time I read it, and then I picked it up again. I was like, okay, this is a book about magic, so never mind. Maybe it's, like, worth sticking around for. But um, I'm excited to read your book here. Well, I think you'll find it interesting. Um, it is very, very difficult today to get a book published from oh, a traditional yeah. publishing house. It's one of those even gatekeeping a, industries. Exactly. Yep. Even a literary agent, they get so many, five, mm. five to maybe 10,000 submissions a year. Right. They may or may not, depending on the title or something, maybe read the first couple of lines, the misspellings of words, the wrong punctuation, they take it and they put it in a trash basket. Amazon opened up a completely new venue for an aspiring writer. Um, as I mentioned, you can control the content, the cost, uh, you can uh, make your own cover advertising on it they have followers you set up your own blog as we have mm -hmm. um, and you have the control over your work uh, I think that uh, this offers for most aspiring writers a way to get their books to publication and like uh, the one you said with Rollins uh, a new author can get discovered mm -hmm. through Amazon one thing leads to another uh, networks are always looking for content. Movies are looking for content. New authors offer that. Right. And on we go. And it's a, a great way. Never did I anticipate that this would reach publication. And where we take it from here, I don't know. But if it, as I say with my son, if it brings somebody a reader, a few hours of pleasure and they have some fun with the book. Mm -hmm. They've enjoyed Alexis Markovic and right. all her characters. I've done my job. Right. I want to tell a story that is captivating. Right. And that's what I set out to do. I've got a wealth of information based on the 35 years of travel, characters and people I've interacted with, good, bad, and indifferent, mm -hmm. places I've been from, uh, as I've mentioned, India, Korea for four and a half years. Um, and I, I've got this wealth of information that all I have to do is put it down, and I found a way to do that, obviously, with eight books published. So kind of interesting. Before Amazon, I mean, even having a good hook at the beginning wasn't enough. I would have never right. reached this point where I could hand you this book. Right. Because a publisher, in most cases, would not read it. Much less eight books. It's, um, exactly. I mean, I said it earlier, it's a gatekeeping industry. Right, uh, one or two people get to decide who succeeds in the industry. It's kind of right. like acting right. or directing. Um, if an actor gets picked as that actor, then they succeed. 99% of all the other actors fail. Uh, and that's exactly what it was up until yeah. you know Amazon in 2005 or whatever, whenever they rolled out the, um, uh, what was their, oh, Platform. Kindle. Yep. Yeah, 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 before they rolled out their Kindle. Um, 
so it's it is really fortunate. Uh, my mom's in the same boat. I don't know if Rob told you about this. Uh, my mom also has a couple of books she wants oh, wow. to publish, and she's thinking about using Amazon. So I'm sure she's going to ask for your advice. One uh, thing, any time at all, I'd be more than happy to help her. One of the other things that uh, mm. people are not aware of is that the audio market mm. for books is a tremendously large uh, segment oh, sure. of this. People drive, uh, both in languages, Spanish, French, uh, whatever you put in the uh, cassette or whatever you do these days with that audio book, uh, or you purchase it and you put it on your app. Um, We've had three and we're working on another, and they're doing extremely well, extremely well. I saw this one has an audio book, right? Yes, exactly. How many languages is that one in? Uh, Probably it's in Spanish, and I think I've had it in Spanish, certainly in English. Okay. And... uh, in all my books, because of the languages that I do have a proficiency in, I try to include it. I have right. a uh, several books. One is called Shaolin Covenant. covers a Spanish uh, individual. Uh, Requiem for a Soldier is about a Spanish individual. I kind of mix the languages up right. a little bit, right. always with the translation. Um, in Requiem, there's a glossary for the military terms for people that might not understand it. Mm-hmm. They can flip, see, flip back, and understand. Right. Um, but the audio segment is a very, very, very large segment. Amazing. Yeah. I never realized it uh, myself. And uh, Audiobooks well, are amazing. Oh, oh, I love audiobooks. Tremendous, tremendous. Oh, yeah. It saves you from reading. If you don't have yeah. the time to read and you're driving, listen hey, to the car. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. It's yeah. like music. No, it is. It's like podcasts. It's like music. I mean, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts in the car, and I can tell you, um, well, it's a little different there because there's no book version, but uh, listening to books in the car is so much more entertaining on long road trips than listening to music. I mean, it's an, as, as we say, it's a nice story. It's a nice story to listen to where you don't get that in the three-minute songs. You can get a nice audiobook. And Surprising how many people have got into this audio uh version of books we use one that uh, and he's been exclusive for all the ones we mm-hmm. use named mark Williams, excellent and he's working on one in fact the first book that we wrote uh, the profession <coughs> excuse me uh he's now doing and uh he's very very good mm-hmm. and that's the key to it you want a voice whether it's a male or female voice you want a voice that captivates the audience right because if he's not depicting the story or she in a way you lose your concentration. Once your concentration is gone, you're finished with the audio. Right. Same thing with a book. You're reading the words. You're making a visual picture in your mind. If you can't grasp it mm-hmm. and it won't keep you centered, you're, you're failing at what you've tried to do. But the audio books, the, the key is the person who does it. Right. The content's important, of course, but it's the key of being able to speak to such a way that he's captivating you and me, and we're listening to it. Right. Otherwise, click it off and go back to rock and roll. Go listen to rock and roll, <laughs> right? There you go. I mean, also what it's done, audiobooks has given, because I said there's different mediums of storytelling. It's yes. basically taken your medium and made it so that I, it's in my medium too. It's, exactly. it's expanding your horizons the uh, idea, a lot. Yeah. The idea is to, to get that visual picture as right. you're hearing it or reading it. If you can't do that, if you're not doing that for the individual, you failed at what you're doing. Right. Uh, and that's why it is so important that you have an individual that has that voice, that magic, mm-hmm. and is able to pronounce the words in such a way, emphasize it with a higher tone, lower tone, whatever, right, right. in order to grab you and keep you. Grab and keep. Right. It's not just having a soothing voice. Not at no. all. No, not no. at all. Mm-hmm. Although it helps. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. So tell me about the profession, your first book. How did you, uh, was that the first one you wrote or was it yes. the first one? First okay. one that we put into publication. I'm not sure, Dean, if it was the first one we wrote, but uh, it was about a, uh, a woman, um, a pianist. I happened to play the piano, so I mm-hmm. had to bring that into the fold at some point. She's a concert pianist. Uh, lives in Greenwich, Connecticut, and um, was recruited by a private intelligence organization. Many people are not aware that uh, there are numerous private intelligence organizations, mm. not just the CIA or MI6 or any of these, but private ones that do a number of things, which in the trade is called wet work, which is assassinations, you'd, uh, 
Now I can imagine so many of the people listening in here said, "Sure, yes, vaccinations, yeah, mm-hmm. sure." Mm-hmm. But uh, it no. does it does happen. We are not aware of how, where, or when it happens, and the means by which it is uh, accomplished. Right. But uh, it is a story about a uh, concert pianist who was recruited by a private intelligence organization who specializes in assassinations. And uh, it's her adventure into a fictitious country, which I made in South America, and um, against a Chinese organization that uh, is detrimental to the West. And they have been hired to assassinate the chief individual of that uh, organization. I placed it in a uh, South American country. Um, I used to travel to two locations, uh, well, three really, Brazil as well, but Suriname and uh, Sierra Leone. And uh, I attended a wedding of a individual who was a military man, overthrew the Dutch government established himself and uh, married, and uh, one thing led to another. I got involved with uh, him and several of his associates. I was invited to his wedding, which lasted for three days. Um, Was it a good wedding? (laughs) Excellent wedding. Excellent wedding. You can imagine. (laughs) Uh, Good time was had by all. Mm. I hope the bride and groom as well, but certainly the guests, those who were invited. And um, I got to know him a little bit, his background, things that happened out there, took some of that, put it into the profession, made that country the country at which this Chinese group was there, okay. and the session, and on and on and on, and the story right, goes right. on from there. Um, since I'm musically inclined and like music, I had to bring this piano player into it. Um, music is involved to a lesser extent, but certainly a part of it in order to endear themselves to the ruling party and then right. take off from that point. So yes, yes. And all these places, as I mentioned at the beginning, such as Suriname, right. such as Sierra Leone, places that most people don't know where they are or never heard of them. Right. Um, interesting things happen there. A lot of interesting, lot things, of interesting happen there. things happen there. None of it's reported on. There's probably countless no. stories and um, occurrences that aren't documented. Absolutely, right. absolutely. Right. Um, when you write a fictional novel, mm. People say, well, what he's doing is making up as he goes along. But you have to make it up on either things that you've learned about or things that you've experienced. It's taking parts of your own life there and you making go. it. There you right. go. You right. cannot write a book just mm-hmm. by things that you conjure up in your mind. Even subconsciously, things will exactly. come up. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's your brain. Exactly. <laughs> things that you've experienced are going to come up. You want to build a character. Right. How do you build that character? You can say Mickey Mouse, and you can build a character Mickey Mouse. Yeah. But when you talk about an individual, he is a live, breathing instrument who functions in one form or another based on certain norms <clears throat> Excuse me, that he considers important to his life and lifestyle. You have to pull from that to make these characters in these books. If you can't pull from that, you cannot develop a character. And I, as I say, was fortunate because I met a host of different characters. Um, I recall one instance um, in this particular country where this individual had this wedding. And I was waiting to see him, and there were military. It's always military in most of these places. They're armed to the teeth. They want to protect what they now have. Uh, They're trustful up to a certain point and suspicious more often than not. Anyway, I told this guard that uh, since I wasn't going to see an individual right away, I'd like to use the bathroom. And he pointed me in that direction. I did what I had to do, walked out. As soon as I sat back down in the seat, he and two other ran into that bathroom. And then they came out and assumed their post again. And I thought to myself, what the heck could that be all about? Mm. So when I got up and I uh, was talking to the individual around the country, I I rephrased the experience and I said, what was that all about? He says, Mr. Kligman, in the greatest accent that I've heard in a while, uh, we are always suspicious and we are not sure whether there'll be a bomb planted in the bathroom. Don't take it personally. (laughs) So you you would say this, as I just indicated to you, and Mm. somebody listening, I guarantee it, will say, boy, that's part of his book. He just made it up out of nowhere. No, it actually happened. 
uh, I was at a, uh, in, in Sierra Leone, um, an individual that we were doing business with, um, he picked me up early in the morning in a car. Um, he said, we have to meet somebody who wants to, uh, wants to I want to introduce you to somebody who wants to meet you. Sure, why not? One more not contact. Well. Right. Doesn't matter to me. Another figure. <laughs> he pulls up in front of a high-walled building, which I knew was a prison. And I see women, no men, women and children outside this prison sitting on the ground. They had little baskets where there was some fruit and food. Doors open up. We're sitting in the car. Guard motions to the driver, so the man and I, the Lebanese man, and I walk out. Uh, a man in uniform, medals everywhere, uh, introduces himself. We walk into prison, and I'm taking on a, on a tour in that prison. And I don't know, call it 15, 20 minutes, and we walk out. We shake hands. Nothing much is said. Right. Just walking through the prison. I get back in the car. We start to drive off. I uh, mentioned to a uh, Lebanese man, I said, what in the H was that all about? And he said, that, Mr. Kligman, was to tell you that once you enter a business negotiation, if you don't fulfill your end of the bargain, this is where you're going to vacation. <laughs> and, They're serious. You know, these are these are things. So... That's stored away in uh, chamber number six upstairs. Right, right. You know, maybe it'll come out in book, maybe it won't. But these are the things that I've experienced in the realm of, you know, who would believe it? You tell this story, as I'm telling you, Dean. Mm -hmm. Other people hear it and say, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that really happened. Right. Yeah. Uh, just like a three-day wedding. Right. Yeah. But these are the situations that I've experienced uh, in some of these countries they are so far afield from anything the normal American can visualize. Uh, they don't understand it as a military government controlled extensively by a military government. Uh, everything that's done is done through that government. The people participate to the extent they uh, are allowed to. Uh, foreigners like us who want to do business there have to do it in a certain way. Um, there is no free lunch. Everything costs. Uh, you pay for the connection. You pay for the results. And when you make a commitment, you better keep the end of your bargain because you're in their home territory. And to get out is not as easy as it is to get in. Right. And uh, that's one of the instances I've, I've never forgotten. It's, it's memorable. It's just one of those things. Right. You would say, who would believe this? But this is what happens, just like the individual in the trunk of a car. Do you ever get frustrated if people don't believe you? No, because I know I come from a different place. Okay. And I realize that their world is a small world where they go on vacation for two weeks at the beach. They come home and they work. They have a family the life. Uh, they eat dinner, and that's their world kind of thing. Six-pack mm -hmm. of beer here and there. Uh, very few people have experienced what I've experienced. I didn't ask for it. I didn't know I would ever get in this kind of work. Um, I always wanted to be a military guy. My parents are first-generation Russian immigrants. My dad believed that the United States offered an opportunity that was existent. No other place in the world. He happened to be right. Mm -hmm. And he said, you, uh, I'm an only child, he says, you owe this country something. And the best way to repay him is to serve in their military. I thought about it, and uh, he followed it up when he looked at that quizzical look in my eye. He says, do you want to follow or do you want to lead? And I thought about that, an interesting question for my dad, and I said, Dad, I want to lead. He said, then you have to be an officer. There was no question I was going into service. Mm -hmm. At that time, everybody served. Right. So he said, when you go to college, you'll take ROTC, you'll get commissioned, and from there I uh, was commissioned, uh, finished up as a major in 04, where did you end up doing ROTC? Uh, Temple University. Okay, yeah. Um, I went back to there to get a master's degree, um, and I started my career, went into the service. My military service uh, coincided with my uh, civilian career, opened a great number of doors mm -hmm. because many of the countries, such as Indonesia, uh, was ruled by uh, military. 
me being military, I could talk the same language. It opened up a door. You there didn't was need, an element you didn't need of a glossary. Trust. Yeah. Eh, none <laughs> of that. Uh, there was an element of trust. There was a certain camaraderie. Um, we made commitments, and we lived by those commitments. Mm. She knew as an officer, once I gave my word, it was going to be done. Sometimes difficult, but it was going to be done. Um, there is a world out there of bribery. I only want to mention it in that um, we are not holier than thou. Um, in order to do, at least in my day, in order to do business in the international world that I existed in, from Indonesia uh, to many of the South American and African countries, you needed to take care of the players. And uh, that was done in many ways. Bringing their children here to be educated in the United States, um, gifts, which is an all-encompassing term, yep. and um, that was the means to do it. Is it right? Is it the we go up with a standard that there is a situation as right and wrong? But I defy any businessman in my time that conducted business internationally that didn't need to do something beyond the normal, I'll pay you for this and mm -hmm. you will deliver that. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. It's not right, it's not wrong. Every country, and I've seen the Japanese do it in Indonesia, I've seen other countries do it. It's unfortunately a way of life, although we have laws that say you shouldn't do this and cannot do it. In my day, you couldn't do business without it. Right. So that brought into my fold a number of interesting people mm. who were conduits between that individual I needed and myself. And uh, these were stored again, as I said at the beginning. I collected people like a circus collects animals. Right. And uh, it's been a fascinating and interesting life. Very, very interesting. Was that, a, um, was that something that... So I, what company are you actually on? Tell me no, I don't want to. Don't, don't, don't do reveal. That, don't yeah. reveal. Um, was that something that so it was typical in the, these countries? Um, oh, absolutely. Is that you, something that you know was totally expected? Absolutely. Okay. And it's not just American business people that were there. It were others that were doing business in there, whether Europeans mm. from England, France, uh, Sweden, Japanese primarily. Um, it is impossible was impossible, still is today, but I won't, I'm not in the field anymore, so I don't know. But in my day, it was impossible not to do it without taking care. Um, the Mexicans have an interesting word for it. It's called mobita. It's a bite. You have to make sure that somebody gets a bite of the sandwich. Right. Or you cannot do business. It is a way of life. It just is. And I defy a person. I would love to see someone come to me sit where you are, Dean, and say, I've been able c to conduct business in XYZ country in the Far East or the Middle East or Africa without the Mobita. Not so. Mm. Not possible. So uh, you bring into the fold, just like the story I told you about the prison, mm. a normal individual who lives in the States and grew up here and can't fathom that they 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 can't picture it. They can picture it, but they don't they don't buy into it. They mm -hmm. can't conceive that that could happen. Right. That somebody would be shown a prison and say, "This is where you're going to vacation," right. if you don't adhere to what you commit to. Mm -hmm. So these are our uh, adventure stories. Uh, military was fun. Uh, civilian life was more fun. And I had the best of both worlds. When the military needed me, they called me back. I never had a problem with my company. They understood. Um, that the Army would take me when they needed me. Um, I went away on my training. I was a uh, member of the National Guard uh, in Pennsylvania, 20th Infantry Division, 111th uh, Combat uh, Team. I, I just um, had an interesting and varied career. I enjoyed every bit of it. I wouldn't have traded it for the world. My children know of it. My wife lived it, unfortunately, and she once came to me and she said, you know, because of the fact that you were never here, I am a stronger woman. And I didn't understand that. I said, why would you feel that way, Nancy? The burden was on you, the children you raised, uh, the pipe that was broken in the house you had to fix, this went wrong, the car needed servicing, whatever. How does that make you strong? She says, because I had to do it. I had to learn. 
And that's the key to becoming a more rounded, complete individual. You learn. Life is a learning experience. I had an interesting learning experience mm -hmm. because when I first started out in my career, some of these things, I must admit, did shock me. I thought to myself, how could this be happening? And why am I a part of this? This is the first time for everything before it becomes exactly. normal, right? Exactly. Yeah. After you do something, even a mistake, or you do something wrong, after the second, third, fourth time, it becomes so natural mm. that you don't even think about it anymore. Uh, for me, that's exactly what had happened. It was a way that had to be walked, and uh, I was successful in what I did, enjoyed it immensely. You can't be good at anything unless you enjoy it, whether it's writing, whether it's playing sports, whether it's doing what you're doing. If you're not committed totally to it, the end result will never be where you want it to be. It'll always be short by an inch or two, and that will, in many cases, cause the deal to either be fractured or completely fall apart. Right. So I always wanted to as complete as I could. I found out in this life there are two things I, I live my life by. Uh, the most difficult thing in life I found is to know yourself. It sounds so trite and such a simple thing. Oh, I know myself. Of course you don't. You have to find yourself in order to know it. You have to be comfortable in your own skin. You can't look at others and worry about what they think of you. It's what you think of yourself, what you do to make yourself the complete individual. The other thing, and I live by this rule, is one act of kindness can change a person's life forever. Although I had to do certain things which are extremely distasteful, I was able to do a few things that, that make my life meaningful. During my time in Korea for four and a half years, it was approximately 10 years after the war, not much to do in Korea. So I uh, decided I'd try to learn their martial art, which in, they have two of them. One is called Taekwondo, the other one is called mm -hmm. Hapkido. So I had an associate, a Korean associate, who said, I have a, a master, uh, an instructor, uh, third or fourth degree black belt, and I would like you to do it, and it was Hapkido. Uh, four and a half years later, I did get my black belt. It's an arduous and difficult task. Uh, I proved to myself that I could do it. Uh, I was the only American at that time in his particular gymnasium that reached that degree. Mm. You see in the movies where somebody gets it after six months or maybe in the United States, after five or six months or a year, they might get a black belt. Right. In Korea, I was no different than the Koreans. They were shorter than I was. They were a little bit afraid of me until they found out that Big guys fall as hard as little guys. Right. And uh, I found that I had a respect because uh, I respected them. And in order to achieve anything in life, you have to respect even your adversaries. I say especially your adversaries. Absolutely. Right. Some people look on disdain with them and figure, well, I'm a smart guy because I'm an American. I can do this, that, and I, and I got these brains. They're very clever people, too. They grew up in a society which is extremely difficult. It's hard. Uh, hard for an individual to progress to uh, a, a degree of achievement, whether it's in business, whether it's in uh, martial arts. Anyway, I was proud that I could do this. Um, I felt good. As I say, I spoke the language. I felt myself not as the foreigner any longer, but as one who respected their culture, understood their culture, had friends among them. Uh, I was no longer the foreign devil. Uh, and uh, I enjoyed my experiences there. That's unusual for somebody, an American, or for anybody. Is it? To be four and a half years in a country, especially a, a country like South Korea, which is basically primitive. Uh, hard, difficult. People look at you with a jaundiced eye. They fought with you during the Korean War, which lasted from 1950 to 53. Country was decimated. Uh, when I was there, there was a military curfew from midnight to four in the morning. Nothing except military was on that road. Luckily, my company, I had a car, uh, put military intelligence plates on there as a military mm. officer. When I arrived in Korea, I had to report to the embassy. 
They knew where I was. They knew where I lived. I was able to get plates. They did certain things for me. I reciprocated. Uh, and uh, it was a uh, interesting and beneficial period of time, but it was a difficult country to live in. Most foreigners who were there uh, either were uh, soldiers that uh, retired in Korea, found love, whatever that means, and uh, married a Korean girl and stayed there, and there was a fairly large nucleus. The other group of people were business people, such as myself, that came there to sell uh, and uh, make money. Right. And uh, that was fun. Making money is always fun. Spending it's a lot more fun. Right. But, uh, you know, it was an interesting time. And when you say I lived in Korea for four and a half years, first question is why? And why that place? That would be the last place in the world. Paris, right. France, London, England, Korea, because that's where the action was. And I was fortunate enough all my life to be where the action was. If it wasn't there, I made it. I stirred it. As I say, I played the I played the piano. I uh, went to a few places in various countries, South America, whatever. Normally, there was a piano there, and there wasn't. If it was a bar and it was five o'clock, there weren't that many people. I would find a way to go up to that piano. I would always be polite, say, "May I play it?" I just didn't take advantage of it. They said yes. Did what I did. They enjoyed it. Clapping. They said more, more. Next time I was in country, I would go there with either uh, I would bring somebody or somebody would bring me. Mm. They remembered me, broke the ice, uh, and even helped with the business contact. Right. Wow, I didn't know you played the piano. Oh, yeah, how long did you, you know, and one thing leads to another, and then you eventually have a bonding. Mm. So I brought Nancy Galt, which was my principal character in the profession. Right. Not her, but principal character as a pianist. Mm. And that started it off, and then I made her an assassin and took her I guess 500 pages into a uh, world that most people don't believe or can't conceive of. Right. That's the thing I I find difficult uh, with some of the people I meet of my contemporaries. Uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Mm. I can talk to you in this instance or many people that will listen to this, as I've said now third time, uh, they will not believe this, that can't quite get the picture and the first word to come in their mind is embellishing. He's embellishing this. He's taking it to a place that he would write a book about, but did it really happen to him? Three-day wedding, all this good stuff, bomb in a bathroom. Uh, yeah, yeah, it actually did happen. Because you can't believe it does not make it untrue. Mm-hmm. It is an experience, a situation, a time frame, a country that most people are unaware of. It and goes back to the respect thing, right? Being Maybe being unable to conceive of it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to respect that it happens, exactly. something like that. Exactly. Um, so actually, tell me a little bit more about, um, so what was the person's name uh, Alexis, that this is based off? Oh, that this is based on? If you or, can't tell me, that's who I understand. No, I understand <laughs> that. No, she was a Brazilian lady okay. who... Uh, did you meet her in Brazil? I did. Okay. I did. And I met her through a friend, and um, she was not, in colloquial French, a nice lady. Okay. She was a little difficult, meaning that she did certain things that you wouldn't contribute normally to a woman to do. Uh, you've got to remember that there are places in Brazil where people like you and I don't go right. unless we're escorted there. It's um, one thinks of Rio de Janeiro, beautiful beach, San Paulo, beautiful city. Mm-hmm. There are other places Brazil's in Brazil, mm-hmm. like there are in other countries that are known and uh, frequented, and they they are uh, rife in drugs, they're rife in crime. They are the, anyway. Um, I met some interesting people along the way, who felt comfortable enough to take me to these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet people like. Uh, Alexa's contemporary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, you get to know them not so much by what they tell you, but by what others tell you about her right. or him. Um, you see things that um, you could imagine in some cases could happen. You should see others that, that do not. Mm. There is a violent element in every single country. And the more, 
uh, lack of a better word, underdeveloped it is, although Brazil isn't underdeveloped, uh, the more these elements exist. Mm -hmm. And uh, the police can do nothing. Most of the time they're on the take. Right. Uh, they're controlled. And this is throughout South America. Those who control the weapons control the populace. Mm -hmm. That's true in certain areas. You can go into San Paulo, a beautiful city. You can go to a suburb of Brazil, and you won't dare go there because you might not come back out. Right. Not alone. Um, all these experiences clumped together, stored upstairs, are things that I've experienced. As I mentioned, I find with my contemporaries, I can't speak with this because they cannot understand it. Uh, those who have experienced it and have worked with the company I've worked with or similar companies or similar organizations, yeah, there's a camaraderie. Right. But you can mention something about Thailand. Oh, yeah, sure, I remember, blah, blah, blah. Uh, or even if they don't remember, it's easier to... You, know, you cannot compare. talk right. to uh, a normal contemporary couple who's experienced a trip to France and something else but not lived the life, so to speak, the life. Uh, you can't mention the things I've mentioned here and assume that they're going to believe you. They will not be impolite and give you that jaundiced look where they roll their eyes towards the sky. Mm. But they're thinking that this guy is so full of it, he mm -hmm. couldn't have done this, it doesn't really happen. These bribes, these things, trunks of cars, prisons, don't happen. Doesn't happen, sure they do, mm -hmm. sure they do. More often than not. And I've always was concerned um, about my safety. I thought about it. Uh, there would be no way of getting word back to my wife that I disappeared. Right. <laughs> just didn't. Right. Just, I came right. home one day uh, with my wife, and she looks at me, and she says, you've got that far away look in your eye. I said, I don't understand. She says, you're gone again. I said, yeah, Nancy. She says, where are you going now? I said, Nancy, I have to take a bag of gold to Dhaka, Bangladesh. That particular time, the huh. company I worked for owned a, uh, I don't want to give the name, gave a, co a gold company in New Jersey, mm. and it was part of our group. Uh, there was an individual getting married in Bangladesh, important to us, and uh, I was given this small bag of gold. To bring him a wedding gift. Or a wedding gift, right, exactly. Right. And my wife says, are you completely nuts? You've got a bag of gold, you're going to dock a bag? I said, yeah, and I took out the gold. And the coins, one ounce coins, right. there might have been, oh, let's say 20 of them. And I think in those days, an ounce of gold was probably $300 an ounce. Wow. So times 20, you know. It's some serious, uh, yeah. not, not too insignificant, not no. too much. A nice, you know, a nice wedding gift. That's a Beautiful <laughs> wedding gift. Yeah. So I get on the plane, and uh, away we go. I arrive in Bangladesh. There's somebody to meet me. Mm. Uh, I thought maybe I'd go to a hotel, freshen up before I go to this wedding thing. He says, no, Mr. Clement, we're not uh, going to any hotel. You must go to the wedding. Well, I'm wearing a suit in those days. We wore suits and ties for right. planes, especially in my role. I did. I always looked, uh, tried to dress to the uh, nth degree. Right. And uh, away we went to... Uh, this particular area in Bangladesh, uh, Dhaka, and uh, walked into the building, and I, I looked at him and said, what, what do we do? What are we going to calm? Just be calm. Right. Do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. Yes, okay, sure, I'll be glad to do that. So I uh, walked up, and here is this woman on a raised wooden platform, completely decked out in um, typical Far Eastern garb, as mm -hmm. Dhaka would have it, similar to Indian Pakistani dress, gold earrings, nose rings, bracelets, toe rings, and uh, she had all this uh, filigree designs up and down her arms. Something straight out of the 300. Unbelievable. Right. I uh, looked at it, and uh, he says to me, walk up to where she is sitting, bow slightly, don't say a word, open up the bag, take one or two coins out, put it down, and just place the bag, and then come back and sit in the seat where I am. Do not do anything else. So I did exactly what he said. Mm. I sat in the seat, and we sat there for 20 minutes or so, and he says, it's time to leave. And I said, what do you mean, leave? He said, we're not staying for the students. He says, no, 
you've done what you have to do. Now you it's time to leave. So we walk out, and I figure we're going to the hotel. We're not going to the hotel. She's taking me to the airport. Back in the plane. Back in the plane. Oh. So the next air, I don't know, let's, let's say it was uh, 11 or so in the morning. The next airplane going out was, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, ten hours later. Right. Uh, I haven't showered, haven't shaved. I carried a bottle of perfume always with me in Cologne, and right. which I splash frequently on right. me. I finally get on the plane. We have a Lufthansa plane into uh, Frankfurt. I get off, and I figured, okay, I got to wait for the Pan Am plane that's going from there into New York. Go to the transit lounge. Before I could get to the transit lounge, there were two German policemen playing clothes. Those were the days where there was a lot of hijacking. I smelled bad, looked bad, clothes were wrinkled. Right. Next thing I know, I was in for a body search. Came out, they apologized and said it's necessary, all this stuff. I got sat right, down right. in the seat, splashed a little more cologne, got on the plane, and finally went home. These are the kind of stories you tell to somebody. They would not believe that somebody is carrying a bag of gold right. from the taco bag right. next to a wedding. Yeah. One of the many stories. And the thing is, it's not even unbelievable. It's just strange. But, you Dean, know? don't you find this strange? I, find, I mean, I find yeah. it strange. I'm a 19-year-old high school student. Well, so, But at the same time, like I can see it happening, but I just can't imagine it happening, if that yeah. makes sense. Just, it, was un- it was incredible. Right. Incredible. Why did we bring the bag of gold there? Well, obviously, an important individual is getting married. Right. We're cementing the relationship. Mm-hmm. Did it mean anything to us to give them three, uh, to give them thirty coins or twenty coins at three hundred dollars a piece? Yeah. It means nothing. Right. It means nothing for what we can buy with it. Right. Right. And a wedding uh, gift goes a long way. Very much. So. Right. It was an extremely interesting world, one that I wouldn't change for a lifetime. I only regret I missed seeing my children grow. Mm. Uh, something they still, in their own way, hold against me, and rightfully so. I tried to be there as much as I could. Uh, I mentioned to my wife, who I'm surprised stayed with me. I was <laughs> under, no, no, no circumstances, she would have cut yeah. and run. But I said, Nancy, we live in a certain lifestyle, and what I do provides for that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I never came back without something in my pocket, but you know, what does that do when you've missed an anniversary or a birthday or uh, many other things? Uh, there was one time my wife, and I'll end with this, that uh, I was in Nigeria, Lagos, and there was an important happening for, I think it was Rob, and she gave me an ultimatum. If she said, if you miss this, the next person you'll see is a divorce lawyer. And I got the message, and I actually did come right. home. They had to bring somebody from Amsterdam to do what I was doing to finish it, but I did come home under the circumstances. I just said, I, I, can't, I can't stay to finish it got to bring somebody in right and then i cut and ran and i got home and 54 years later i'm still in one piece with right. the same woman right <laughs> and that's all you can ask for <laughs> yeah you're right you're right at least you get to know and we're joined at the hip so we kind of know each other mm. um, it was an interesting life as i say i would not give it up for anything i would not trade my military experience i would not trade vietnam i would not trade the things I did and where I did it, I would not trade the people I've met. They are embedded in my mind, my my psyche, my everything. And because of this, I was able to write these books. Right. Without that, I couldn't put these together. I couldn't build a story because I wouldn't have the players. And that's it. All the good and the bad, everything brought you here. Absolutely. Right. And you finally met me. <laughs> yeah, fine. I mean, I've heard so much. <laughs> so you've uh, you've experienced uh, a story that um, you can weigh in your own mind. Is this a little bit of embellishment, or did he really do this? That's what I experience with everybody I talk to, mm. except those that I've coexisted with in order to accomplish whatever it was yeah. I was trying to get done. But uh, it was an interesting life, and still it continues to be an interesting life. I appreciate you telling me about it. Uh, well, listen, I uh, appreciate the opportunity and the invite. You're a wonderful young man. You've got a great future ahead of you. And a great uh, book to read tonight. <laughs> and a tremendous <laughs> book to read, especially during bedtime. I put oh, you yeah. to sleep. <laughs> oh, All right, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming, Harris. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Pleasure. I'm going I'm to play the outro. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Good. <laughs>